You're listening to Teaching from Midtown Fellowship, a Jesus-centered family on mission in Columbia, South Carolina. If you're interested in finding out more about us, our family of churches, or how to partner with us, go to midtowncolumbia.com. So last week, we did an introductory overview to what have been called the three enemies of the soul, the world, the flesh, and the devil. We looked at Ephesians chapter 2, which mentions all three of them. Today, we're going to zoom in and talk about the devil. So my guess is that this topic, at least for some of you, is interesting. For others, maybe a bit off-putting or alarming or concerning. And then I would assume, no doubt, that for those of you who are new with us this morning, you are currently wondering if you've made a huge mistake. And the answer to that is maybe, maybe, TBD. So to get our bearings, we're going to look at John chapter 8. It's actually one of the longest sections of Jesus' teaching on the devil. So John chapter 8, going to look at a big section here from verse 31 all the way to 47. So we'll read and I'll give a little bit of commentary as we go. John chapter 8, 31 through 47. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So notice we're entering into a discussion about truth here. So they answered him, We are offspring of Abraham. We've never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? And Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Now, the Jewish people are currently occupied by the Romans, which is why they wanted a Messiah to pick up a sword. But Jesus says there's such a thing as a different kind of slavery, a much more foundational need for freedom than you might think. And he says that true freedom only comes through him. Verse 37. I know that you are the offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. Remember, he said that his word is truth and that truth sets free. Verse 38. I speak of what I've seen with my father and you do what you have heard from your father. So what does he mean by that? Who is he saying is their father? Keep reading. They answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. In other words, Jesus is saying, Abraham submitted himself to the truth that came from God in faith. And he's saying, you guys are doing the opposite of that. Verse 41, you, Jesus speaking, you are doing the works your father did. So again, who is he talking about? Who's he saying is their father? So they said to him, well, we were not born of sexual immorality. So that's a dig at Jesus here and his parents and how Jesus was born out of wedlock. We have one father, God. And Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me for I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my words. In other words, he's saying that the message I have offends your sensibilities 
and doesn't give you what you think you ultimately need and want, freedom from the Roman Empire. But then catch this dropkick from Jesus, verse 44. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He, meaning the devil, was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. So let's pull some bigger concepts from what we just read. Notice just a few things. First, for Jesus, there is, in fact, a devil. I know that I need to start there because many of you do not believe in personal, supernatural evil. For whatever reason, our society makes it at least a little bit easier to believe in personal, supernatural good, God. And then for just whatever reasons, I'm not sure, I don't know why that is, it's harder to believe in personal, supernatural evil. So when I say that this sermon is about the devil, some, some of you think, oh, great, maybe next week we can talk about leprechauns. Fantastic. So I just need to start with the fact that Jesus knows there is a devil, that there is, in fact, personal, supernatural evil. And the devil is one of many names for a being that we read about actually all throughout the Bible. He's called, in other places, the Satan, the evil one, the tempter, the destroyer, the deceiver, the serpent of old. You'll notice that all of these are titles, they're not names. So a lot of us hear Satan, and we think of that as a proper name. And in English, but it's not in the Greek. In the Greek, it's ha-satan, or the Satan. It means the adversary or the accuser. So he's not given a name in Scripture. And some scholars even think that's a dig from Jesus and the writers of the Bible, that he doesn't even get a name. And three times, Jesus calls this creature the ruler of this world. And that word ruler is actually a political word for the highest ranking position in a government. So the devil is to Jesus an invisible but real intelligence that is the evil behind so much of the evil in our own souls and in our societies. And Jesus here claims that he's in fact behind the religious leaders whom he's speaking to. This is in part a reference to Genesis 3 where there's a prophecy about the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. And Jesus says these religious leaders are the seed of the serpent. Elsewhere, Jesus does the exact same thing with the Roman Empire, where he says, yes, there's human evil. Yes, there's political evil, institutional evil. But behind all of that is a whole different kind of evil that's at play. And this, what we just read, is in fact the longest single teaching on the devil in all of Scripture. We glean some bits and pieces throughout the story of the Bible. As far as his background goes, some of what passes for common thought comes from the Bible, and some comes from works like Paradise Lost, which is, of course, not the Bible, so it's a, mis it's a mixed bag. And I want to save some of the background discussion for what you'll hear in the midweek podcast this week so that we can keep moving forward. So shameless plug there for the midweek podcast. So first... 
for Jesus, there is a devil. Second, number two, his goal is to destroy. This is what Jesus says in verse 44 that we just read. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning. Murderer from the beginning, the goal to wipe out life. Jesus says just a few chapters later that the thief or the devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Like a villain in a movie whose goal is to tear it all down. So the devil in the story of scripture is at war with God himself and with God's vision of the good and beautiful and true. God the Father in creating all things lays claim to what is real and what is not, what is good and what is evil, what's true and what's false, what makes life thrive and what tears it down. And God was seeking to create an ordered reality for the good and flourishing of all things. That's what the Garden of Eden was. It was this high place where heaven and earth met. But when the serpent, the devil, deceived the first humans with the first and oldest lie that God cannot be trusted, earth was divorced from heaven and chained to the effects of its rebellion. And the devil, being the dark overlord figure, leading the quest to create and foster unreality and chaos and disorder. C.S. Lewis says, there's no neutral ground in the universe. Every square inch, every split second is claimed by God and counterclaimed by Satan. Jesus here says that his motivation from the beginning has been death and destruction, a murderer from the beginning, out to destroy and bring ruin, working to see people and families and communities and civilizations torn apart by sin and breakdown and chaos. That's number two. Number three, his primary strategy is lying. This comes again from verse 44. He's a murderer from the beginning. He does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So notice how Jesus says he intends to destroy. This is a warning about lies and the captivity that they bring. It's a discussion about truth and about freedom and slavery. See, lies create a kingdom of darkness made of untruth and unreality. And Jesus here calls the devil the father of lies. He says there's no truth in him. When he lies, it's just his character and nature coming out. This is interesting because that's not at all what most people think about when they think of the devil. If you find someone talking about fighting the devil, very rarely is this what they're thinking like if you have a friend who blames all his marriage fights on the devil and you're looking at him and you're like, man, I don't know. I think it's just that you're a jerk. I'm not sure that you need the devil's help to have problems in your marriage. You're doing a good job yourself. So it seems like there's people who, who think they see a demon behind every bush and we write that off as silly or superstitious and probably correctly so. Or maybe we think of only things we read about in the Gospels, like, like someone is demonized or sick, and it's actually something spiritual in nature and not simply physical sickness. And there's definitely some truth in that. But I just want you to catch here, this is the longest, most in-depth teaching we have on the devil. And it's an intellectual debate with religious leaders of the day. It's an argument over truth and lies 
and the damage that lies can create and the freedom that truth brings. This is his primary strategy for destruction, lies. Now, to be clear, there are times in the Gospels where we read about demonic power, uh, demonization, sickness. Biblically, there's a case for all of that. Followers of Jesus throughout history would agree to that. We might be on the more skeptical side of some of that, but our brothers and sisters all over the world even today have a hard time understanding why we're skeptical about it. But none of that is what Jesus talks about here. He says that Satan's primary go-to move to bring death and destruction is not necessarily some power play, but is instead getting someone to go where he wants them to go through deceitful ideas. The way we framed last week, our three enemies, was deceitful ideas that play to disordered desires that are normalized by a sinful society. This is the scheme. And Jesus is saying this is the devil's most natural, instinctive plan to lead people into destruction. If you think about other instances in Scripture, we see this play out. If you remember Genesis chapter 3, it's exactly what happens. Dallas Willard, in fact, speaking on Genesis 3, says, The most poisonous thing about the serpent was not his bite, but his lies. Jesus' temptation in the book of Matthew, again, the attack from the devil is not by force. It's with misleading statements, trying to create doubt. There's subtle, seductive promises. He puts question marks where God puts a period. He calls into question things where the case is already closed. He tries to deconstruct not things that need to be torn down, but instead good things that God has established. So Jesus says the devil is the father of lies, the origin point for deceit itself. The devil is a lie. And I'll just drop this pearl of wisdom that when Jesus and Rick Ross agree, you are going to want to listen up. And here's, here's why. Because lies have the potential to destroy you. Lies have the potential to destroy you. So let me continue to tease all that apart. I'll show you what I mean. So human beings are the only beings that have imagination, which means we have the, the capability and the capacity to hold both reality and unreality in our minds. And this can be a good thing because the future is an unreality. It hasn't happened yet. And we have the capacity to imagine a future and to work towards its existence. A dog, for example, doesn't have that. A dog just wants to eat and wag his tail. He isn't worried about retirement. So this is what enables all forms of creativity. And some of you are incredible at this. You can imagine something that you could create and you're able to bring that unreality into reality. It doesn't exist other than in your mind and you work to bring about its existence. This is what enables leadership as another example. The ability to imagine a possible preferred future for a group of people and then help those people arrive at that preferred future. This is a good thing, but it also can be our greatest weakness. When a preferred possible future is the unreality we hold in our minds, that's great. But if lies are the unreality we hold in our minds, then we are set for ruin. Now, the most clear, obvious example of this, in my opinion, would be something like mental illness. If you interact with someone who is, say, paranoid, schizophrenic, and 
they believe that they themselves are multiple people and that the Canadians are out to sabotage their lives or whatever. What you see on display, in a way for us to understand culturally, you see what it looks like to hold unreality in your mind and then base your life and actions off of it in a way that leads to breakdown and to destruction. And the truth is, in more subtle ways, this is what's happening in our lives. Let me give you some examples. Let me show you how lies, if you believe them, can lead to destruction. Here's a lie that some of us in this room believe right now. You're on your own and you cannot depend on God. You cannot depend on God. Now, if you were to truly internalize this lie, there's a chance that it would lead you to crippling anxiety over time because you may never find a house safe enough, a security system smart enough, a car with enough safety features, or a mask that's thick enough. And your mind could rot from the inside with worry as you imagine every possible worst-case scenario that could happen. You'd lose sleep at night, and lack of sleep begins to compound your irrationality. You can live that way if you want, but it is hell on earth. It's unreality that destroys you because fear of what could happen begins to steal away your joy and your ability to be grateful for what is happening. And the tricky part about this is the more you feed that unreality, the more real it begins to feel to you. The more you believe that God is impotent and incapable of watching over you, the more that starts to feel like reality. I'll give you another one, another lie. I am unlovable. I'm unlovable. And just consider what might would happen if you internalized this lie, this lie that's a baseline rejection of the gospel that God loves the world so much that he sent his only son to die, but you, not you. You're not worthy of love and respect. People don't like me. I am a bother. If people do like me, it's only because they don't know the real me. However that lie comes to you through life experience or a family of origin or a body or personality that doesn't fit the cultural definition or ideal, however the lie comes to you, Before you believe it, it's a lie. It's not true of you. You're not unlovable. You're not unworthy of love and respect. You're a human being in the image of God. But if you'll believe that lie and you begin to live as if that lie were true and it begins to color or discolor all of your relationships and your interactions with others and how you do or don't live in community, then tragically, a couple of years goes by, 10 years goes by, and what can happen, not always, but what can happen is that it can become, in a way, true of you. You can become the kind of person with, with ruin in your soul who the way you interact with other people, the defensiveness and the anger and the insularity and insecurity and standoffishness, you can, in fact, become the kind of person who is very difficult to love. So breakdown and destruction and ruin and chaos have been unleashed in your life all because you believed a lie. And you understand, I could go on and on and on with these. How the belief in a lie can filter its way into your life in such a way that it brings about ruin. And I would just tell you that as one of your pastors, I'm not very concerned with many of you holding a seance or running out in the woods for a Satan-worshiping bonfire. What I am concerned about 
is your news feed. The podcasts you listen to, the shows and movies that preach to you for countless hours each week, and you're kidding yourself if you think they are not preaching to you. These stories that we hear constantly and the ideas embedded in them about what's right and wrong, what is freedom and what is oppression, who is good and who is evil, because there are spiritual kingdoms at war amongst these stories. And I want you to realize that Facebook or Fox News or CNN, in a way, are a battleground of spiritual warfare in your mind and soul. You're inviting voices to speak into your worldview. And these voices are very interested in making you see things a certain way. For the left and for the right, the ideologies in our country have profound power to shape people. And we're seeing it. I mean, we're watching this play out. We have people losing their minds, both to the left and to the right, mixing truth with lies, but unable to see the differences. So whichever direction you lean, left or right, honestly, that's fine. You can keep thinking the other side is a greater danger to our country. That's also fine. But you need to know that your side is a greater danger to you and to your discipleship to Jesus. And there's a sinful path of lies on either side, wooing you down it as you increasingly dislike what you see on the other side. So. Uh, for Lent, uh, Courtney decided that she was going to unplug from all social media. And neither of us are, are super engaged with it as it is, but she wanted to just completely disconnect. And we were talking about it after a few weeks. And she said something I thought was really interesting. She said, it's like I now have fewer voices in my head. It's like I have fewer voices in my own mind. So your, your news feed, your social media, these are spiritual formation practices. Netflix is a spiritual discipline. You're opening your mind and self to messages and inputs and other voices. And of, of course, they're not all bad. Of course not, not even close. In fact, some of them are good. Many are good. I just need you to see that this is what you're doing. I need you to realize the power that these things have in your life to shape what and how you think. So have you seen, uh, I'm sure you have, the, the image, usually it's a cartoon where uh, a person has an important decision to make and all of a sudden a little angel type person pops up on a shoulder and then a little devil type person pops up on the other shoulder and they start arguing, you know, trying to dissuade this person. And it's basically this idea that in really key moments of your life, the devil or one of his minions all of a sudden shows up and tries to get you to succumb to temptation and do something awful. As though breakdowns in our lives and in our society happen all at once at a particular instant. That's not actually true, at least not exactly. So first of all, the devil isn't omnipresent like God is. He's nowhere near as powerful as God is, so he can't be everywhere at once. So his strategy is not all at once in the moment, show up to get you to do something awful. And instead, the strategy is to get you to believe something awful that leads you to do something awful without any evil spirit needing to be present whatsoever. So it's a strategy of 
If I can get a spouse to believe that his or her happiness is found in sexual fulfillment and get them to chase that fulfillment in discreet ways outside of their spouse, then when an opportunity to cheat comes around, the decision's already been made. No devils on shoulders necessary. It works the same way in relationships. If you're in a friendship with someone or in a community and you begin to practice what's referred to as negative filtering, where you don't value all the ways in which that person or community expresses love and goodness to you, but instead only retain in your mind the ways in which you felt hurt by that person or community, then it's only a matter of time before you begin to think these people are out to get you or are dangerous. You believe that what's been done in the past is past the ability to forgive. And then if you have a bad counselor, he or she is glad to let you pay them while you wallow in it week after week. And if you start to base your life on the lie that you know what other people are thinking without sufficient evidence or just to decide that, and to assume the worst about every interaction you have, then you don't need the devil following you around. You'll, tell it, you'll tear everything down all by yourself just fine. You'll torpedo relationships because drama and relational conflicts will follow you everywhere you go. You'll be building the devil's kingdom of lies without even knowing it. So this is why, according to 1 John 3, chapter 8, Jesus actually came it says, to destroy the works of the devil and the kingdom of lies he created. Look at 1 John chapter 3, verse 8. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. So for Jesus, the devil is not a metaphor. All of Scripture frames up this battle from the first to the last pages where the works of the devil are literally destroyed. We've got the serpent in the beginning who ruins things with a lie and God's promise to defeat that serpent through a descendant of Eve. And then Jesus defeats him through his perfect life. He defeats him in the wilderness when he's tempted. And each time Jesus responds with Scripture to combat the lies. He defeats him on the cross. He defeats him in the resurrection. And the end of the story is told in Revelation chapter 19, where Jesus is riding back in on a white horse. His eyes are on fire. It says his voice sounds like a waterfall. He's got a tattoo on his leg. In other words, Jesus is going to come after the devil like Liam Neeson when a family member has been abducted. But in the meantime, we have some fighting to do ourselves. And in the teaching in John chapter 8, Jesus gives us some directions on how we follow him out of deceit. It was what we read at the very beginning, verses 31 and 32. Jesus says, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. He says, if you abide or stay or trust in my word, my truth, my reality, You'll be my disciples, you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. See, Jesus' weapon wasn't a sword or a chariot or a machine gun or a drone. It was truth. It was truth, all of which means, as we begin to land, that our fight against the devil, before it's ever about anything that seems crazy to us, demonization or exorcisms or any, anything like that, before it's ever about that, First and foremost, it's a fight to recognize truth over lies, to internalize truth 
over deceitful ideas to abide in God's word that we may know the truth and the truth would bring us into freedom. Do you know, I've shared this before, do you know how counterfeit money checkers are trained? They don't actually spend all that much time examining the forgeries and the fakes. They look at them, but not usually the main substance of their training. Their main substance of their training is to spend a lot of time with real money so that they learn exactly how it feels, how it looks, how it smells, and they're able to spot a fake in whatever form that it comes. This is what we need with Scripture. This is what we're trying to do with so many of the things that we do as a church. This is why when we meet on Sundays, we're going to preach from the Bible. We're always going to open up the Bible and talk about what it says and what it means, even when what it says is really hard and makes people mad at us. This is why we sing the types of songs that we sing together. It's why many of our songs are taken directly from Scripture. This is why every sermon series we do is accompanied by some reading plans and some practices. This is why we open the Bible as life groups and we discuss We discuss the application of sermons into our lives. It's why we speak truth to one another. It's why these things are critical. We're trying to abide in the truth while we're stuck in a world with a ruler seeking to destroy it all through lies. I don't know if you've ever paid attention to this, but the warnings in the New Testament about false teaching and lies are everywhere. It's a primary concern for the early church and therefore for us. Be careful about false teaching and about lies. These warnings are everywhere. And what's crazy is I would bet that because of technology and the smartphone in your pocket, you and I are probably exposed to more false teaching in one day than a member of the early church in their entire lifetime. So for them to hear, you know, false teaching or deceitful ideas, someone had to physically be present to deliver it but we're assaulted with it every single day. Messages that tell us all sorts of different things, like indulge our flesh, reject God's authority if he even exists, get in line with our culture or risk being ostracized and shamed. With all these lies that we hear through all of these different mediums, I need you to understand that one hour together on a Sunday morning has no shot of counteracting it. What we do together when we meet is critical, it's necessary, it's important, but it is not enough. It is not sufficient. Your intake of God's word is going to have to go beyond a Sunday gathering for you to stand a chance with what's said against you. We're going to have to abide in Jesus consistently and constantly to see the lies that are all around us. So our members... We've all agreed to a handful of different practices, habits that we agree to take on together because we know they'll help us become the kinds of individuals and therefore the kind of community that God calls us to be. And one of those practices is abiding with Jesus through meditation on Scripture and prayer. And I need you to hear that that's not a cliché. that abiding with Jesus is so that his truth can set us free so that we're not captive to lies that bring death and ruin. So the next time someone sees you reading your Bible and they ask what you're doing, feel free to say, I'm just fighting the devil. 
Because when you open your Bible and meet with God and his word, it is the ultimate, not today, Satan. It's the primary way we fight the deceitful ideas of the devil. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you would help us to increasingly see this clearly. Lord, I I pray that you would help us to abide in your word, that we might know the truth, and that the truth might set us free. Amen. Love you guys. Hey, one last thing before we head out today, I wanted to make sure to put in front of you again that our milestones class is coming up. May 2nd, 9, and 16, our aim as a community is to be equipped as parents. We are never ready for the moments that come each and every day with our kids, but we can be prepared. We can be equipped. And so that's our aim with this process is to put in front of you some different markers in our kids' lives and some equipping and some training on how we lead our children and our families forward into what God would call for us to be. So that's what Milestones is all about. There's more information, as always, on our website, midtowndowntown.com.